Um, the Bible says in James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so by trying to help these ladies with their children, um, that's what we're tr just trying to do, a way to minister outside our walls to um, five families. And as Jesus said in Acts 20:35, Paul spoke of, I have showed you all things, how that so labor and ye ought to support the weak. And you remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so John chapter 5, we're going through the Gospel of John. It's a series. John 5 in verse 1 says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue um, Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, you put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another step of down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. He didn't know who the man was. He just knew. He said, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed was not, um, which means he knew not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask for your blessing upon your word that you've already no, we know you've blessed it, but we just pray, Lord, that you would bless the delivery of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here in this passage, it's mentioned something very unique, something very miraculous. Um, there's the pool of Bethesda, and um, there's different spillings um, for this, um, this city. Um, Bethesda is how you pronounce it, and it was a pool and, and here in verse um, four and, or in 3 and 4, it talks about how there lay a great multitude of impotent folk, or of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water, those that were diseased, those that were crippled, and they were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water step in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And so this was something very miraculous that, you know what, someone would step in after an angel touched the water and then they would be made whole. 
Now, modern skeptics um, argue against this portion being in the Bible. And you'll see that a lot of new Bibles, the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, um, completely remove the last part of verse 3 and verse 4 in its entirety. And now the arguments against it being in there is that they say it's not what is in the best in older manuscripts. Um, their favored Alexandrian Egyptian line. And that they point out that there are a few Greek words in the construction of that passage that John nowhere else used in his other writings. So they say, they assume that maybe it doesn't belong in there because there's some words, there's some construction of it that you don't find in the rest of the Gospel of John. And thirdly, there's a theological aversion to it, and there's some of it that it is a mystery, but um, they believe that it's an ancient superstition to believe that an angel would give healing power to pools of water. It is also stated that God doesn't operate in a manner of healing the first disabled diseased person that enters the water and then leaves the rest in their infirmities. And so because of their um, view, their opinion, and, and these three things, they say it does not belong in there. Now the arguments for its inclusion are as follows. St. Hodges, in response to the arguments against verse 3b, that's the second part of verse 3, and verse 4, he says that the omission is basically an Alexandrian phenomenon. That, again, we talked about it in the springtime, um, about um, the different families of manuscripts and, and their lineage. And so there was the Antiochian line, Syria area, and then there was the Alexandria, Egypt area, where in Alexandria, Egypt, the school of thought was that they would interpret the Bible in the allegorical sense, in a spiritual sense, where in Antioch, the Bible believers understood the Bible to be literal um, unless the Bible was clear it was an analogy or an allegory. But that the Bible would be received, if the main sense made common sense, and that would be, seek no other sense is the saying as it goes. St. Hodges further argued the presence of non-Johannine, non words John used anywhere else, and expressions is a matter that counts for little. He argues that verse 7 demands the presence of 3b and 4 and that their suppression can be explained as an early theological aversion to angelic miracles. And so in verse 7 is where it says, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another step of down before me. So he says, by verse 7 being there, then it, it, it doesn't really make sense. There's no explanation without verse 3 and verse 4. And then there's the manuscript evidence. Five manuscripts, first part is going to be a little bit technical, but five manuscripts include verse 4, but not 3b. Nine manuscripts include verse 3b, but not verse 4. Twelve manuscripts omit both of them. Thirty-eight manuscripts, however, include both 3b and 4, and even at least one of the Alexandrian manuscripts, the Codex Alexandrius, has verse 4. And so that was when this study was done out, which I believe was within the last decade. And so even one of the Egyptian lines had those verses um, in them. And then there's their quotations from early church leaders. Um, Chrysostom in the 4th century said, And an angel came down and troubled the water and endued it with a healing power that the Jews might learn that much more could the Lord of angels heal the diseases of the soul. That he viewed this, there's a lesson. You know what? The Lord, the angel healed the body through the power, and then Jesus, or the Lord, um, would be able to heal the soul. Ambrose in the fourth century also said, Therefore it is said, 
Okay, talking about what is written. An angel of the Lord went down according to the seas and into the pool, and the water was troubled. And he who first after the troubling of the water went down into the pool was healed of whatsoever disease he was holding. The pool was at Jerusalem, and which one was healed every year, but no one was healed before the angel had descended. And then Tertullian, which is the third century, possibly written in the latter part of the second century, he wrote, An angel used to do things when he moved the pool of Bethsaida. Um, those who complained of ill health used to watch out for him. For anyone who got down there before the others, after washing, had no further reason to complain. And then in regards to the argument with the vocabulary and the style not being consistent um, throughout John, if John simply cited the oral tradition verbatim, there is no reason to expect John's normal vocabulary and style in verse 4. Um, that, like, if it was a saying, if it was a quotation, like, if he was quoting the common tell, the common story, then it wouldn't necessarily be how his normal style would be. If I was to write a book and I include a quote by someone else, a story by someone else, it would not have my same style or use the same vocabulary I normally use. And also, it's not uncommon to find unique words and phrases in various books of the Bible that a writer uses only once or twice. You know, if, you, if I wrote again a letter, I wrote you a letter, and there was in one portion a word or a phrase that I did not use in the rest of the letter, it did not, does not mean that someone else inserted it in. It just means I wrote it one time. Pretty simple. Just wrote it one time. In fact, of 60 Greek words in John 2, 14 to 16... There's six, 60 Greek words in there. This is the time of Jesus cleansing the temple. John uses 11 words that he does not use anywhere else in the Gospel of John. Yet no one is calling for the removal of that passage. In regards to a theological aversion against it, um, the healing power in water caused by the angels... Um, those who use these arguments must have missed many of the miracles done in utilizing normal physical substances, substances and objects. In John 9, 6, Jesus healed a blind man using clay created from his saliva and mud. In Numbers 21, 8 to 9, when Moses um, put the brazen serpent up, and that if they were to look at the brazen serpent, they would live, even if they got bit by a serpent. And so God used miracles. That's what a miracle is. It's against the natural course of events or things. In Acts 9, verse 11 to 12, handkerchiefs and aprons were given healing properties. Now, if anyone, if you see on TV, says claims that gift, don't believe them, okay? There was a purpose, a time that Jesus gave these miraculous gifts to the apostles. That's where Paul says, the signs and wonders of an apostle were wrought among you. And it was to confirm the word that was given. And now we have the perfect word of God. We have it given to us. We don't need any of those other things. But it says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Miraculous. Another time, Peter's walking, and the sick would just walk in the shadow of Peter, and they would be healed. And so these were miraculous things, not superstitions. And so there's nothing unbiblical about a physical substance being given healing properties by the Lord. And you look about angels throughout the Bible, many of them did very supernatural things. The other question, and one of my questions when looking at it was too, but what about God's nature? Is it really God's nature 
to heal in this fashion. That the first one to jump in is the one that's healed and everyone else isn't. But you know, you look at scripture from beginning to end, you could see these kinds of basically similar things. There, you think about there were so many children that died in the time of Elisha, but yet we're not told of not more than one child that was raised from the dead. There were many widows who suffered famine. But there is this one widow that God gave the oil and, and, and the bread, they, the wheat, they would continue to be provided through Elijah through the power of God. And God often will do things contrary to what we understand, what we perceive. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yet it's not really completely out of the ordinary of how we see life unfold in God's amazing grace. And so likewise here we see that the sickest individuals who need healing the most are unable to get in first. I believe we can see an analogy of the Samaritan woman in the previous chapter. The Samaritans were viewed as unclean, vile people. The Jews did not want them to know of the Messiah. They did not want them to be saved in any sense. They were viewed as unclean. And yet they were needing salvation the most. The Jews, you know what, the, the scriptures, the oracles were given through them. Um, Jesus said that, you know what, that I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You know what, the Jews had the greatest chance of salvation from our perspective when we look at it, that Jesus came through the Jewish. And, and, and then, similarly, the able-bodied individuals by the pool, is say there were some that were able-bodied, still sick, but able-bodied. They would get in first, and that would prevent the others that were more sick to get in. Likewise, the Jews would try to prevent the Samaritans from approaching God. People... People who were born Jews had a greater opportunity to come to the knowledge of salvation than the Samaritans did. Likewise, people who were sick but able-bodied had an easier chance of getting in the pool of water. Yet in both accounts, Jesus overcame those. He, he transcended that in that Jesus gave, transcended the inequalities and gave healing salvation to the unprivileged. It, this manifests the grace of Jesus and His teaching that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That Jesus ministers to the Samaritan woman, while the Jews would then end up being blinded from the truth, when the Jews had the greatest opportunity beforehand. Also, why would anybody, especially a man sick, for so many years, 38 years, remain in one place if he never saw something special occurring? You would think that after 38 years of nothing happening to anybody, that he'd be like, hey, you know what? This is a myth. This isn't really happening. People are wasting their time by the pool. I've been here 38 years. And the first one that gets in, he's just as sick. That's if nothing was happening. But he must have witnessed something was happening. The Tyndale Concise Bible Commentary writes this. The questionable material of chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 may have come to be deleted by a copyist concern about what seemed to him to be a pagan or superstitious influence. Thus it can be argued that all of 5, 3, and 4 may have been included in the original manuscripts. And you look at the commentaries throughout history. You look at the commentaries basically from mid-1850s and before, they believe it was part of inspired scripture. And it wasn't like they were ignorant. They, they knew that there was some debate about it. But after about 1870s, 1880s and on, commentaries started to become more skeptical of it being included. 
But, you know, we're not really drawing closer to the Lord. It's more of drawing more doubt about God's work. And also, it's an incomplete account without 3b and verse 4. Um, there's no explanation to why the man wanted to go into the pool. This is what the English Standard Version says, and basically any other modern one would say something similar. Um, John 5, 3. It says, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one you put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. So when you look in verse 7, it's like, why in the world would he be wanting to get in? Why would he be wanting to get in a pool? And why does it matter if he gets in later than someone else? It's an incomplete thought. It's in the King James Version, it reads, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another step of down before me. Complete thought. There is complete explanation of what was going on, on why he was by the pool, why he was trying to get in, and why he hoped to get in before other people would. And in simple terms, the doubt upon a passage that has been in John and understood to be God's word for 1900 years is not much different than Satan in the garden in questioning, yea, hath God said. He wanted to bring doubt upon God's word. Did God really say that? Or was that made up? No, let's get into the passage. This man had an infirmity of 38 years. We're not told the details of it, but he would have needed another man to put him in the water. Perhaps he'd be there and he would ask, he's like, could someone please, could someone put me in here? But the Pharisees, Sadducees, anybody else, most of them would probably stay away from him. Because they don't want to be, get, be by people that they saw is unclean. And someone else that was sick, they're going to want to get in. And so this man lies sick for 38 years. That's a long time to be miserable. And in his mind, he was just always waiting, always hoping. He, you know, he thinks about his life, about how terrible it is, how terrible the condition of it is. And just wanting to find that magical or miraculous cure. He stayed at the pool regularly. Now later after his healing, when Jesus healed him, Jesus said, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And so from that saying of Jesus, it gives me the impression that his infirmity was caused by his sin. That because of something he did, God punished him. Or just the sin of itself. Many times the curse of the sin is in the sin itself. People commit adultery, get STDs. It's built into the sin. And so Jesus tells them, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And so sometimes when people have health issues, sometimes it's because God's judgment, sometimes it's God's chastening a child of God. And you know what? Sometimes you know a child of God, they're sick, they're ill, they got some disease, and they'll pray, Lord, if you heal me, if you give me another chance, I will live a dedicated life to you. And in many times, they're healed, 
and they go back on their word. Now that they're feeling healthy, they go back to their sin. And here Jesus warns this man, if you go back, it's going to be even worse for you. Having said that, many occasions we see in Scripture, the sickness, the illness, had nothing to do with that person's sin. Um, it has to deal with, hey, we're in a sin-cursed world, but not because of that person's sin. We see that people ask Jesus about a man um, who, who was born blind. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Who sinned? They're like, hey, this person must be being punished by God. Just like Job's friends said, oh, you know what? This must, you must be being punished for your pride. You must be being punished um, for something. And yet we see Jesus saying about the blind man, it wasn't because of his sin. It was not because of his parents' sin, but that the glory of God would shine forth and that he would then be able to see with his eyes and the glory of Christ would be manifested. But you know, when we get sick and we get ill, it's worth it considers just to ask ourselves, to examine ourselves, Lord, have I sinned? Have I committed a fault towards another? And in praying, seeking the Lord about it. And you have peace that you know what? No, it's just for this time, God has you going through a hardship. And you embrace that. You know, like Jesus asked the question, Will thou be made whole? Will thou be made whole? And you would think that the man would be very enthusiastic and be like, Yes, please, heal me. But for one thing, he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know who he was. But you would think he would still say, Yes, I want to be healed. But instead, he gave excuses. He gave excuses. He says, there's, there's no man. You know, I, I have no man. When the water is troubled, you put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another step of down before me. And so he had been in such a sad condition that his body being in a sad condition had affected he the wildest mind to think evil and to give excuses that his own mind became paralyzed. He gave excuses. And you know, the mind has a lot of control over our health. You know, the Bible also talks about how a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Now, we'll get that a little bit. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But we see the healing here with Jesus, with this man, is instant. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Lord healed him through his spoken word. He commanded the man to do the very thing he was unable to do. But then he did it. Unlike many fake healings you'll see on today, Benny Hinshow, um, any others of these so-called faith healers, you see him getting out of a wheelchair, and they're like, Oh, I'm healed! No, we see Jesus, when he healed people, it was instant, it wasn't progressive, it was right away. They were healed, and, and they would be walking, the deaf would hear, the blind would be able to see. They were things that could actually be observed, not just someone said, yeah, I'm healed of my headache. Okay? No, these were actual things. And so, and this was done in regards with or without faith. You know, oftentimes today, so-called faith healers, so when they don't cause the healing, they'll just blame the individual and say, you just didn't have faith. You didn't have faith that you would be healed. If you had faith, you would be healed. And so they blame it on their unbelief. This man didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't say, I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God. No, Jesus just said, rise up and walk. And then we see that people ask him, who did this to you? Who told you to rise up and walk? And he said, I don't know. I have no clue. I don't know who the man is. So there wasn't even faith involved. 
but yet he was made healed by Jesus Christ. You know, oftentimes, you know, we see many today, you know, as we get older as well, even many young people are having health issues, health scares, things that make their life panic before their life. Pastor Tim Schellenberger in Centralia, I was talking with him yesterday or two days ago, and he was out kayaking around the San Juan Islands. The water drifted him out. He was alone. The boat tipped over, the kayak. Couldn't get it back, flip over, couldn't get back in. And freezing water temperatures. He was out there for over two hours, just floating. This is just last week. Just floating, just drifting further and further away. His cell phone fell in the, in the water, couldn't call anybody. He was freezing. He was cold. But he said, in that time, my life flashed before me, but I refused to panic. I started to think about my life with God. And just to think about the peace I have with him. That if I was to slip here right now, that this was the way I was to die, that glory still goes to the Lord, and that I will wake up in His presence. Finally, another boat came by, threw out a lifeline. He grabbed it, and immediately when he grabbed it, he passed out. Right away. They got him, they grabbed him, they got him up. Had a hyperthermia. His body's still recovering today. But he almost died. But he said, I am if I was to die then. I was at peace with Christ. That one, I probably shouldn't have been out here alone. You know what? Have a partner with you going kayaking. But that's kind of peace you could only have. With Jesus Christ. And some of you may be going through health hardships. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. James 5 in verse 14. And there could be other things. You know, even just this last week, I ended up going to the doctor. I'm just having some issues, and the doctor said, hey, you know what, you have some symptoms of cancer. He goes, you're young, you're 35. And so there's that kind of initial panic, like, oh, wow. But it's like, you know what, I can't let that affect me one way or the other. I need to trust in God. They trust that if God wills it or God allows this to happen, that may Christ do it with his glory. And the next day passed. The blood test came fine, or the urine test came, test came fine, but then the blood test was the next day where they would find things more for certain. And um, praise the Lord, everything was clear. But even if it wasn't, praise the Lord. Bring glory to Christ. Allow the hardships, the things that affect you, the hardships, let them bring you closer to Jesus, not further away. Forgot to write it down, but someone shared a passage in Jeremiah. And it talks about when um, the people were going into captivity. And it was in part because of their sin. They sinned against God, and God was leading them to captivity. But then in that, we see God's mercy. That God tells them that I did this for your good. Now, it's a punishment because of their sin. 
But in God's grace, in His mercy, He allowed this tragedy, this hardship to get them um, back to Him and then to free Him for them to see the true deliverer, to see God who is the King of kings, to bring that deliverance, to fulfill His promises, that even in God's chastening of His people, that God will do it for our good, for our benefit. And that's where we need to learn to have that trust in Him. And it's best to learn to practice that trust before you're in that situation. Or you may not respond the way you hope to. Job said, Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. That even if God was to take my life, I will trust in Him. You having health issues or loved ones having health issues. James 5.14 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith. Hey, the miracle is not in the oil, but we see the symbolism here. But it's the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Go ahead and turn you Isaiah 26. Well, we see... In this passage in James, call for the elders, the um, pastors of the church, or even maybe some of the elderly to pray. And that if there's any sins you committed, you know what? You confess it to the Lord. And then, you know what? The Bible says, hey, you know what? The prayer of faith shall save the sick. This doesn't mean every time you get sick, you're going to be rescued out of it. But many times you can be. But we must come to when it's God's will not to heal us. To trust in God's grace. To, to trust in His comfort. To trust in His Word. And His Spirit that could bring peace. That even a healing cannot. We see in the Bible that Paul, even though he had the gift of healing, did not heal everybody that was sick. There are times says that Myotis, I left in Ephesus sick. I left this person, they were sick. Because the miracles weren't just to make people get better. They were to confirm God's Word, that they were the messengers of God. There was a purpose for it. It wasn't just to make our life all warm and fuzzy. But there were people that would oftentimes get sick. And that's where in our mind, with our heart, we must trust in God. That mentally, if we get focused on our sickness, on our illness... It just affects us negatively. It doesn't make us better. And you know, at first, you know, I shared some of my symptoms with Lauren. And he said, oh yeah, I had that and I had cancer. Man, those weren't the words I wanted to hear. But, <laughs> but, then, but, then, he said, but then he said, oh, well, you know what? You'll be all right. You know what? You're young. You know what? They'll probably be able to remove it. You'll probably be fine. But even when you told me that. I was like, hey, you know what? It's scary, but I can't be in distraught. Someone else mentioned that someone was falsely diagnosed with cancer. They were told they had two months to live, and they died two months later. And then when they investigated the, um, what's called, autopops, or, uh, yeah, that, they found out there was no cancer in his body at all. That the mind, when we're, our mind's not on God, when our mind is focused on our condition, on our problems, on our trials, on our issues, it just takes us down. It does not bring us up. And I appreciate James. You know, he has hardships. And you know what? There may be times where, man, he complains maybe to his wife, man, this is miserable. But you know what? Overall, you know why I see? He has peace. Grace, 
Now, it's not comfortable living the life he lives. But yet he finds his comfort in God, his peace in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where the flesh slips up and um, maybe you yell out of frustration. But overall, where's your life in the midst of your illness, sickness, or the hard part is seeing your children or a family member go through hardship. Sometimes if you have the spiritual maturity in your life of trusting in God, you're able to do that with yourself. But sometimes our trust is challenged when it's our own children or our own spouse. And so our mind, what our mind thinks upon is important. You know, in the Bible it says, think on the things which are pure, holy, just, temperate. Isaiah 26 In verse 3, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, there's the mind, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So what we need to do, We need to trust the Lord when we're in the valley, when we're in the shadow of death, to trust in the Lord. Don't wait for things to get better. Don't be a cis man waiting 38 years and just thinking about how miserable his life is. You know, life will always be complicated. Learn to be joyful right now. Otherwise, you'll run out of time. Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. There's the mind, and then there's also the way we use our words. Do we use our words to criticize and condemn, or do we use our words as pleasant words to help build up? Now that doesn't mean that there's not a time for rebuke, for reproof. For confronting this sin or a disobedient child, there's a place, there's a time for that. But what is our general life? Is it always words of condemnation? Or are they words, pleasant words, sweet as honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones? Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Paul writes, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan who buffeted me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient in infirmities, and in reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses, For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Sought the Lord three times. God did not take it away. But He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And when we're in those hardships, we're in those hard times. Trust that God's grace is sufficient. And that Paul came to the realization that instead of continuing to complain a four, fifth, sixth time, he says, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Whether it's a physical infirmity, whether it's persecution for the name of Jesus, for Christ's sake, I am going to take pleasure in my infirmities, in my hardships. I'd rather go through the storm with Jesus than sail through life without Him. Jesus asked the question, Wilt thou be made whole? I think all of us, if we're ill, we would be like, yes, I want to be made whole. Sometimes God does not give that. But will you that your soul would be made whole. That your spirit would be at peace. And it only can through Jesus Christ. 
will thou be made whole in your soul. Have your mind stayed upon him. Trust in him. We see the Jews' focus was off. You know what? When we, they, see, he, they see this man is healed, who they knew for 38 years that he had this infirmity. Now they see him walking around carrying his bed. Instead of rejoicing, they're like, what? What's going on? He goes, well, the man that healed me said, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Who was he? I don't know. Well, we want to find out. Because he did it on the Sabbath day. He's, their focus was not on the majesty of Christ. You know, whether the sickness is on someone else or on us. Are you seeking the majesty of Christ? Are you seeing that He is preeminent? Or are you focused on your infirmity in a negative sense? The Jews did not even focus on the miracle of healing, despite who it was done by. You know what? Many times carnal people will get upset when they see God blessing you. You know, God may bless you with a home. God may bless you with health. God may bless you with riches. And sometimes there'll be other Christians that are carnal. They'll get jealous. They'll get envious. Just like these Jewish people here did. They were upset this man got healed. Because he broke the Sabbath, so to speak. And then they looked at Jesus as apparently breaking the Sabbath. They persecuted Jesus, the Bible says. Now there were laws, and there, there was a law that, you know, you weren't to carry a burden out of your house, but that was in the line of a man's normal daily duties of work. But what the Jewish people did was they added 39 more rules to what God said about the Sabbath day. They said things like, you cannot cook food. You can't, you can't heat it up. Unless the day before the Sabbath, you, heat, you started heating it, and then you covered, the, you, you, you covered it, or you kept it heating, and if it kept on heating through the day, then that was okay. But you couldn't start the fire on the Sabbath day. They would say, you cannot sew, you cannot tear, you cannot tie a knot, you cannot undo a knot. They made up all these man-made rules, all these man-made regulations that if you didn't do these, then basically you would not, God would not be pleased with you. You would not be right with God. But those weren't the rules that God made. And Jesus responds, my father works. Hither do I work. He's like, my father's working. You know what? I'm going to work too. And we see he healed the man. And then they persecute Jesus more and sought to kill him. Because they made, he made himself equal with God. For calling God his father. We'll deal with that more next week. But notice this, in the Bible passage, it mentions at this pool that there were five porches. And the pool of Bethesda was called a place of divine mercy as well. But a number five, commonly, not all the time, but commonly in the Bible, is a number that shows grace. The Bible says, by the pool was the sheep gate, which speaks of sacrifice. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had to die before God's grace could be poured out on sinners. We see that Christ healed him on the Sabbath day, thus proving that the law had nothing to do with the cure. We are not saved by keeping the law. We are not saved by keeping works, by following man-made traditions. We are not saved, healed in our soul. Our sins are not forgiven by keeping the law. We see he healed the man by himself, for salvation is of Christ alone. The man at first complained, I have no man to take me in. If he had a dozen men to take him in, 
it still wouldn't do any good. They could not do what Jesus did. The lost sinner does not simply need help and reformation. He needs healing by the Master. He needs Jesus Christ to work on their heart, and they need alone between God respond to God's grace and put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus is your Savior today, keeping the law isn't going to save you. Being the best person you can be will not save you. It's only the healing Jesus brings to the soul. And you must simply believe, have faith that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you, was buried, and rose again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't have an instrumentalist to play for invitation, but Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if there's somebody in here that doesn't know you as their Savior, and they'll come talk to me or talk to my wife or talk to another Christian in here to say, please show me more clearly in the Scripture, in the Word of God, how we can have eternal life. We thank you, Lord for the health you've given us. And then when we're in trials where we have a lack of good health, Lord, help us to trust in you, for in our flesh is no good thing. But with your Spirit abiding within us, you could help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to cling to you. Help us to pray, to ask you for healing, and to believe that you will heal us. But now, even if you don't, thine will be done. And help our mind to be stayed on the fruit of trial, whether it's a physical infirmity or maybe it's a trial we're going through. Help our mind to be stayed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. And just